1: Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! Podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller of the Hockey News, alongside Justin Cohn of the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. As always, Justin, uh, you were on day-to-day IR, I believe, last week. We, we've activated you retroactive to, I, I don't know, I haven't checked the CBA. But how are you feeling, man? J- Justin's been a bit under the weather.
0: Yeah, I was in the health and safety protocol, so I, I'm feeling a touch better, thank you for asking. Not sure how this affected the salary cap situation I think they did put me on like a short-term injured reserve, so we're all good there. But uh, we'd rather yeah. not
1: disclose that. But yeah, just, <laughs> just
0: make it transparency. It was a lower body injury. How's, how's that in hockey parlance? It was a, it was a lower body injury.
1: Hey, that's good enough for me. Um, so, what have you been up? So, what have you been up to uh, with, with covering the ECHL and whatnot? Has, has Fort Wayne been on a road trip recently, or are they have they been in town? Uh, they
0: have been um, a little bit back and forth. And uh, actually coming off a weekend of three games and three nights, which is always fun in the ECHL level and something I feel like fans in upper leagues can't fully appreciate just how difficult it is for teams at this level to be playing three and three or four and five every week. And uh, of course they had the all-star game this week. That was on Monday in Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, you know, the ECHL all-star classic is always an interesting thing because they have um You know, strange venues sometimes, different formats. And, you know, I could talk about that if if you want to hear anything about that.
1: Well, strange venues, what do you mean? Like they play like a roller rink or something?
0: Well, well, I shouldn't have said it that way. So, for instance, this year they played at Norfolk, Virginia. Um, You know, obviously a historic market there. But I think it's worth noting that the format was a four-on-four, I'm sorry, a four-team, three-on-three tournament. So, there's one Western Conference team, one Eastern Conference team, and two teams from the host Norfolk Admirals. So, why I say it's maybe strange, maybe venue wasn't the right word, but the Norfolk Admirals are by far the ECHL's worst team this year. So, the All Star Showcase featured two teams from the ECHL's worst like memorial
1: top, like a host team.
0: Well, no, well, yeah, that's how it works. I, I guess you could sort of put it that way. The host team, yeah. the host city, their team participates. Now, they've tried different formats through the years, but right. the way it is right now is if you're hosting, so is Norfolk, you have two teams, two three-on-three teams made from your roster. And then there's the Western Conference mm-hmm. All-Stars and the Eastern Conference All-Stars. But when you're talking about showcasing the league on NHL Network yeah, and you're rolling out there the league's worst team I mean let, let, let's look, look up norfolk's uh, they're 6 27 and three right now and by the way on the road Norfolk 115 and two uh so it's always sort of a weird thing obviously if, if you hope that you're you're showcasing the best team in the league or maybe the defending champs. but in this case it was the worst team in the league but you know it was set in stone so that was the format this year
1: before we move on uh, one more thing about this in the ECHL all-star games, are they trying, is it a competitive game? Like, because like, so the AHL still kind of like loosey goosey at the NHL, but I would think especially to be on an NHL network, an ECHL all-star game would be a great opportunity to showcase perspective, like the best of the league. I know it doesn't always shake out that way. We just mentioned how the formats, you know, it's not actually the best players all-star games, kind of a cross hockey never turned out that way but I'm curious like is there a high intensity level at these games
0: so I I could talk about ECHL all-star games for a long time but we won't do that the first thing you need to understand is right now I would not consider the players chosen to be a true all-star team over the last few years there has been a move to really showcase the quote-unquote prospects of the league So the guys that are maybe future NHL, maybe future AHL players, and that's fine. But if you are an everyday ECHL fan, there have been instances, a lot of them really, where you might have like the league's, let's say, second leading scorer, not in the all-star game because he's an older player. He doesn't fit that demographic of we're trying to showcase the future stars. So that's been a point of contention for a while. Uh, is this really the best the league has to offer? And it's kind of been a mix. Nobody's exactly sure how they're choosing the team. Yeah, there was a vote. I had a vote. Then they somehow pared it down, and somewhere behind closed doors, coaches and media relations, people chose the team. So there's been complaints about that. But in answer to your question, is it a competitive game? It's a three-on-three tournament with rally scoring. Yeah, they're having fun. They're trying to put some weird moves on there. The goaltenders were having some fun. I remember two years ago, there was a player named Justin Hodgman, had a great goal. He had a broken hand. So he had this great breakaway goal using only one hand. So obviously he wouldn't be playing, he wouldn't be trying anything like that if it was any other game. So, you know, I would not say it's a competitive game. I would say it's a showcase of what you have to offer. I think there's probably better ways they could do it. My ideal is I think they should come up with some way to kind of do a hybrid game with the AHL, something like that. Let's get all the prospects on one site, maybe two ECHL teams, maybe two AHL teams. Who cares whether it's not that competitive because it's a showcase? I can tell you a lot of fans at this level for years have said they should have an interleague game between the ECHL and the SPHL. And I just don't see that happening because it's a unionization thing. You know, you, the SBHL isn't unionized. So that probably would never happen, but I think you could do it with the ECHL and the AHL. So that's my idea to improve the whole thing.
1: And kind of, as you mentioned, showcasing the prospects is a priority, and that's probably a good time to pivot to our prospect of the week, which is someone that I'm sure many listeners of hockey, um, In some respects, I've heard of, and that is Michael DiPietro of the Maine Mariners, 23 year old goaltender. Maine is the ECHL affiliate of the Boston Bruins. And you know, he was a highly touted prospect not too long ago third-round pick by the Canucks in 2017, he led the Windsor Spitfires to a Memorial Cup championship and was named the tournament's most outstanding goaltender, and that all happened in his draft year. Before turning pro, DiPietro, who's listed as a generous six-feet, I will say, um, also won the OHL goaltender of the year and represented Canada at the World Juniors. Now, his pro career, it's been a slippery slope. 2019-20 was his rookie year. He had an you know, average 908 save percentage in 36 AHL games with the Utica Comets, which is what is Vancouver's affiliate at the time. And then the next year, the COVID year, he, along with other players, were kind of in limbo, right? So he only played four games that year, all in the AHL. He was on the taxi squad um, for most of that year. Then last year, 2021-22, he had a 901 save percentage in 34 games with the Abbotsford Canucks. Now, in those three years with the Vancouver organization, I will say, by virtue of odd circumstances each time. He actually played in three games with the Canucks and got lit up like a Christmas tree with a 771 save percentage. Um, illustrating that. Now, this year in the fall, 2022-2023 season, traded to Boston on October 27th alongside Jonathan Myrenberg for center Jack Stud Now, this year he's with the main Mariners in the ECHL. Probably you know the best place for that person or sorry, this prospect to be rebuilding their confidence. Um, I should also mention that he is contracted by Boston DiPietro, expiring at the end of the year. But, Justin, let's get up to speed with Michael DiPietro. What's he up to? How's he been doing with Maine this year?
0: You know, I want to start with something that you just said because it's something that's been on my mind about being in the ECHL, and in this case, Maine, uh, being a good place to build your confidence, right? Right. That could be a slippery slope. Um, You know, I was going to maybe talk a little bit about him later, but we did mention Sebastian Cosa as a guy that we talked about. front of the uh, show. Friend of the show. So he's a big prospect of the Red Wings. You could argue that because he's playing on a team right now, Toledo, that doesn't have very good defense, that there are a lot of people out there that think maybe they're doing a disservice to Kosa because he's getting lit up a little bit because they don't have a great defense. So I just want to mention, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, send him down to ECHL. Great player. He'll be able to rebuild his confidence, but it's not just about the goal. You know, if you land on a team with a terrible defense, you could be in trouble. But, you know, in answer to your question, he he's looked good to me. Um, You know, he's six, one 0 two point eight, six goals against uh safe percentage uh, in the nine hundreds. Uh, Watch some of what he did recently. Three to two victory over Norfolk, obviously not a very good team, but he stopped 22 or 24 shots. Then he comes back the next night, seven to two victory, stops nineteen to twenty one shots. So he's not facing a ton of shots, but he's doing good things with the opportunities he's been given. And you're, you are right, though. You know, you got to build confidence. And whether that starts in the ECHL, whether it starts in the AHL, when you move organizations, you're obviously looking for a fresh start. Um, my understanding is he had some input in whether or not he got moved from Vancouver. And, um, you know, I think a fresh start in the ECHL is probably doing him some good right now as he tries to, to work his way up the Boston uh, organizational chart.
1: You know, it's funny. You mentioned about the the caveat there about situational um, circumstances. Costa's an interesting example, but also with Pietro, it's like this might be the first time for him in however many years that he's a starter, Di DiPietro. How, and, and how long that he's been the guy kind of thing with goaltending. Now the game's changing. Right. And um it's kind of more like pitchers in baseball. You've got more rotation, but in terms of a guy like DiPietro that needs that mileage, I would think that the ECHL would be a good place for him. But, and if you touched on this a second ago, my bad, I may have missed it, but so main in terms of, of a stomping ground for him, what's that like? Is he, is he getting like pelted with shots? is he are, are they, a good team, a bad team, like where's he at, you know, compared to a Costa who, as I said, or as you said, is getting lit up.
0: Well, you know, Maine's a good team, you know, they're 21, 11 and two. Um, when you look at the, the total goals they have faced, they, they have fared pretty well. They're nine 9-0 and one in their last 10 games. So in answer to your question, it's a good team and it's a solid defensive team. You know, they don't give up a ton of shots. So I think that bodes well for him and it's a good situation for him to be in. But, you know, you talk about the psychology of it. I mean, to your point, has he has he been the starter before? I mean, he's Abbotsford's all-time leader in games played. Now, obviously not the oldest AHL franchise, but, you know, he's been in that position before. This year, he was, he was on the Spangler Cup roster. I mean, so I, I do feel like he's taking his medicine a little bit, if you will. I mean, this is an AHL guy with national team experience and all that stuff, and yeah. now he's got to kind of – start a little bit from scratch and and see how it, it works out. I mean, he's sixth on the Bruins depth chart, but almost all of those guys are restricted or unrestricted free agents next summer. So, you know, I, I, you know, is he a guy that Boston sees in their future? I, I feel like they're kind of giving him a chance with all these guys on expiring contracts. Let's see who plays the best. Let's see who we're interested in because we could go in with kind of a clean slate after
1: this. I will say, I actually was fortunate enough to interview Michael DiPietro about four years ago, three or four years ago, whenever he ended up making a World Junior team, because he was cut originally. I don't know if people remember this, but there was, like, which is just torturous. You know, like, when the World Juniors, they announce who makes it, TSN's, like, kind of waiting for them in the hallway and just throws a camera in their face, TMZ style, just to see all their trauma kind of coming up, which is great TV. Um kidding. It's, it's actually super, like, insensitive. But... Point being, Dip was like kind of like people were like, wow, like this kid looks gutted. I talked with him, and you know, as an undersized goalie to begin with, plus being cut from the world juniors, all these things, he's no stranger to adversity. Number one. Number two, without getting too into it, I think it's safe to say, given what's going on in Vancouver, um, maybe there wasn't the best developmental pipeline opportunity, whatever it may be. Okay. And I think that he may deserve the benefit of the doubt here. And also, the deal was for a that's one of those classic change of scenery deals. Two guys, certain pedigrees. Let's just—they—they need—they need a shakeup. Like put them somewhere else. So, I think you know it'd be a little short-sighted to say the clock starts now for Di Pietro. But I, I, you know, I wouldn't write him off yet either.
0: Oh no, definitely not. I mean, and and you know, you're talking about his size. What I've watched of him, I feel like he plays bigger than he is. Um, you know, my kind of description that what I wrote down was that he was kind of lanky but very active in what I was watching, you know, just a lot of good side to side movement and, you know, seeing shots coming from different directions. But, you know, I, looking back in Vancouver, you know, I think he's probably a a tougher, uh, tougher mentally than people may know. I mean, that was tough. You know, he, he was considered maybe their goalie of the future. You know, you got Demko there. Was he going to be one of those guys? Spencer Martin obviously had kind of eclipsed him on the depth chart. Now, Spencer Martin, great example of a guy that once you get some confidence I covered him as a rookie I mean you could tell he was pretty good but at no point was I like oh gosh you know this is a future NHL goalie but he built confidence over the years and sometimes it just takes a change of scenery I think I think being in Maine right now you know I'm sure he's disappointed I don't see him sticking in the ECHL all year but I do think it's good if you can get the confidence If you can put up the good numbers and he has, and you're playing on a good team and you're in an organization that's going to give you some opportunities to show what you can do on an expiring contract, because that doesn't always happen. I think he does have an opportunity to really kind of hit the reset button and make some waves. I mean, he's still young enough.
1: And also we should mention Boston's got probably the worst prospect pool in the league. They can take any flyer. Like, you know, there'll probably be opportunities if they like what they see to give him every chance to kind of climb the ladder there. Let's move on to our team of the week. And that is the Jacksonville Iceman, the affiliate of the New York Rangers. Um, they have a 21-12-1 record. And that's only, that's a pretty good record on the surface, but it's only fifth in what is a very tough South division with Atlanta and South Carolina sitting on top of it. According to EliteProspects.com, the IceMen have an average age of about 25.5, which is slightly above um, the league average, which actually I thought, and looking at that, I would think that that's quite young, but you know, I like others, maybe right off how much the ECHL is getting younger as a whole. Let's get to the one it currently NHL contracted player on that roster. And that is Hunter Skinner, 2019 fourth round pick. Spent last season with Hartford, a couple games with him this year, but he's been with Jacksonville throughout the year. Justin, get us up to speed. How's he doing this season so far?
0: <clears throat> well, in 23 games, he's got three goals and eight points. So, you know, he's not going to blow you away with his numbers, but he has got a big shot. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely see that out there. He's got some size, I believe six foot three. Uh, he'll play a little bit physically. Uh, what I like for a bigger guy, he moves up ice pretty well. You know, I've seen them pull off some odd man rushes and he's right up there. He had a, a, a recent goal. It was, uh, can't remember who it was against, but it was a nice give and go that kind of started in his own zone, ended with him scoring at the other end. So he's he's got you know some tools to do stuff at both ends. What I do like, and I'm not a big believer in the plus minus, but plus nine is second on Jacksonville. And as you said, that's a tough division. It can be a wild division. They'll play some high scoring games. So uh, that did stand out to me as a a nice stat for him. Now, he was a USHL player, also played in the OHL with the London Knights. He did show some scoring down there, six goals, 32 points, and a plus 22 rating in 62 games in an OHL season. So, uh, you know, I like what he does. He's he's one of those prototypical, bigger two-way defensemen that you're looking for right now. And I could definitely see him being a long-term AHL guy if he could stick up there.
1: It happens, you know, more often than maybe one would think, but for a guy like him that played last year, mainly in Hartford and also while in third pairing deployment had some pretty good offensive totals at even strength. not like he was an empty calorie um, power play scorer by any means. It was pretty productive. What do you see in his game that maybe makes you think, okay, maybe this is why he's in the ECHL for the time being. And that could be tough, right? Cause you might, you may be getting the best version of him, but do you have any kind of inclination? What led to him being sent here?
0: You know, I don't know specifics. I can just tell you what, what I observe. And, you know, I think he needs to shore up a few parts of his game. You know, I think they would like him to be a bit more offensive at the AHL level, but that is more difficult to achieve. You know, it's usually the backwards uh, to what I usually see, which is guys go to the AHL, they need to improve their defensive play, and they may send them back to the ECHL to work on that. But with a player like this who's got size, who has some proven – chops as a defender uh, i think they may be wanting him to do the opposite let's let's shore up both parts of your game including what you do at the offensive end let's get you some special teams work let's get you using that big shot of yours and you know you mentioned it at the start jacksonville is a good team this year that division is different than it historically is usually it's one team maybe two teams usually the florida everblades but this year, you got Florida, the Atlanta Gladiators, South Carolina Stingrays, Jacksonville, and Greenville all battling it out right now. So that is a really good division, a surprisingly good division. So he's going to get some good work, and some of these other guys we'll talk about with them also getting some good work. But you know, I think they just want to see a good all-around two-way defenseman. Can he do it at both ends? Type of play.
1: Olaf um, Lindbaum, second-round pick of the New York Rangers goaltender um in 2018 he was drafted this is a really interesting career arc for me so you know he comes over north america 2022 which you know not uncommon a lot of times it takes the european guys a couple years to come over and and usually the case is like okay you know this can be something that a lot of us misunderstand and that is that european hockey is great hockey if there's not a good opportunity here why would they leave a lot of these guys have been with the youth programs for a long time. So they're not usually going to come over. It's not for a prime opportunity, but you know, Limbaugh did decide to come over to the ECHL. Not that it's not a prime opportunity. I'm more so curious, you know, going from tier one Swedish hockey to the ECHL, if he sees a pathway going up and just kind of what there could be there in store, he's drafted the second round by them. At one point they, they had high upside. They must be still interested in him to some degree that they're bringing him back. Right. Cause if they just, if they had no interest, they would have cut their losses and end. Not even brought him back an NHL deal. It's all synchronized: the NHL, AHL, ECHL. First fifteen games, eight eighty save percentage um, for the team. I, I wouldn't say he's the backup because he's kind of sh- sharing the load with Parker um, Gaggen. Is that how you say it?
0: Gaggen.
1: Gaggen. Yeah. H was silent. Um, and uh, so, so you know, sharing the workload, eight eighty save percentage in fifteen games. What's the rundown on him? And just before you get to that, actually, to my original point, that's rare. Right. To see a guy come over that many years for the ECHL.
0: It is pretty rare. I think you do see it occasionally with goalies. And I think one of the reasons is you want organizationally, you want your goaltending coaches on site when you can get them there. Now, I don't know specifically with the Rangers, but there are definitely teams uh, that will have their goaltending coach down at the ECHL club, you know, every week or sometimes every day. Uh, I think Costa told us he was working every day with the Red Wings guy. Um, so I, am sure that's part of it, but you're right. You don't usually see, uh, guys who spent the entirety of their careers in Europe then suddenly land in the ECHL. But I think for a goaltender, it makes some sense. You know, you want him, uh, getting used to the subtleties and the differences between European hockey and North American hockey. You want to be able to move him up and down. You want him working with your guys and you want him facing these types of shooters and, You know, there's a lot of reasons I can think of of why you'd want him over here. And, you know, I know you brought up his save percentage. I'm a big save percentage guy. I'm not a big goals against guy. So at 883, it does jump out, but I feel like he is trending in the right direction. You know, he's 10-4-0 this season. Uh, He does have a shutout. If you look at the Rangers depth chart, I believe he's fifth on there, but he's only 22. He's a restricted free agent in 2024. There's time. You know, I don't think there's a rush with him. They can send him down to UCHL, be a little bit patient, see if he works out this year. And like I said, that's a good division with a lot of offense. So he's facing some good shooters. I mean, even the fifth, sixth place teams in that division have guys like Sean Sidlowski. I mean, a lot of good shooters. So he's facing quality offense every night.
1: Let's go to our last player, the leading point scorer of the Jacksonville Iceman era Nazaran um what's the lowdown on him and uh you know has he been a top tier player for a while now or or what's you know where are we at with him
0: yeah I mean he's a nice player he's um got 11 goals leads the team with 29 points this year another thing that stands out again not a big plus minus guy but he's plus 14 uh in that division he's very good on power plays sets up a lot of goals this that way uh, I believe he just became Jacksonville's all-time leading scorer. Um, you know, he's been a competent player for them since 2021. Uh, he had 25 goals, 51 points that year. So when I look at him and he was a university of New Hampshire guy, I can't figure out why he's not a, on an AHL deal. I mean that's that's really the gist of it. I mean, he's in an organization that he has had some longevity with. He's obviously helping to make some of their prospects better. Uh, I'm just a little bit surprised that, Um, you know, people haven't given him a more of a look up high, but he is having a career season so far this year and he is surrounded by some nice guys and he has them playing really well. So, you know, a guy like that using some speed, he's got 14 games in his career with Rochester. Uh, I could see him definitely moving up, but even if he doesn't, he's really sort of the straw that's stirring the drink right now at Jacksonville.
1: Speaking of that about, you know, he's a guy that you can understand how he's on an AHL deal. Would you say that there's also it's kind of a testament to like more and more players of that ilk and that quality being in the AHL, and there's 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 a value to those guys that kind of write the ship and are steady um, for teams that maybe have young prospects that are going up and down that elevator.
0: Hundred percent. I mean, first of all, you need guys that are going to be good for your organization. I mean, guys yeah. that that you like around that hopefully whoever your affiliate has signed off on. So. You know, where I am in Fort Wayne, great example. The captain here is a guy named Anthony Petrozelli. He has played, I don't remember the, the exact number, but over 300 consecutive games without missing any for injury or illness. So, and he's a guy that's a high energy player. So, very much lead by example. And he makes players around him better. Now, is he a guy that's had some AHL games? Yeah. Has the ship probably sailed on getting an AHL contract? Yes. But, He's going to be a guy that can get called up in a pinch. He's going to make those young prospects better. I can probably guarantee you that the Edmonton Oilers looked here and said, yeah, you know, we're comfortable having our prospects kind of learn from a guy like that. So I think when you talk about Jacksonville and a guy like Aaron Azarian, it's important to have players like that around. But it's also interesting, you know, a lot of affiliates will help out the ECHL team by maybe signing a guy to an AHL contract even if they're not really interested. And that's something we could talk about some other episode. But it, it does a lot of things, including alleviate your salary cap, give the NHL team another body in case they need it. So it sort of stuck out to me that you got this guy like Nazarian, who's done well for multiple years, clearly has the skills to play at the AHL, but didn't have the AHL contract for whatever reason. But you never know. Somebody else could... You know, I don't know his, his family situation or anything, but somebody else can always come in and sign into an AHL deal. And you know, sometimes that throws the dynamics off of teams. I see it happen all the time. A team that's not your affiliate comes in and signs one of your best players, and all of a sudden your roster is a lot different.
1: Let's shift over to our segment, Coast to Coast, where Justin Cohn gives Justin Cohn gives his news notes and quotes. Justin Cohn, as I said before, of the Fort Wayne Journal Gazette give us the rundown of what's on your mind, the ECHL and ECHL related matters.
0: Well, I thought I'd talk a little bit about just some kind of fun, all-star breaky things, maybe give out a few awards. there has been some things that have been on my mind here. Uh, Wanted to start almost with a negative. Uh,
1: That's always good.
0: (laughs) Well, it's, this is something that is, it was blowing up my, my Twitter account for a while, but there's a player named Mikhail Robido. We have mentioned him before on the show. He plays for the Allen Americans. And he was a big, Interesting cat in junior hockey in terms of he had skill but was getting suspended a lot and has remained in the ECHL level. So he recently got suspended for what I believe is the third time this year. This one was for a brutal kneeing incident. Like he came almost from the blue line, just took a guy out, very clearly was going to be a suspension. So he got a um, seven-game suspension. One game was for the hit. Six games was for being a prior offender. Now, here's, here's what all oh, this is leading up to. So in three seasons in the ECHL, Mikhail Robodeau has played 73 games. He has been suspended another 47 games. He's been suspended nine times for a total of 47 games in three seasons, and that's almost as many suspended games as games played, which leads me to ask, He's how playing- is...
1: He's paying to play, basically.
0: Yes, exactly. But, like, how is he still in the league? Like, I I don't mean to get on the soapbox. I am as old-school a hockey guy as you'll find. But when you're blowing out people's knees, when you're getting into it with fans, things like that, and he has done this stuff, um, I just don't see who it benefits outside of the Allen Americans to have him in the league. And I can't figure out why they haven't uh, booted him from the league unless there's something in the collective bargaining agreement or something going on with the players' association that is really preventing this, because it's not like you're talking about a top-tier player. You know, you're talking about third, fourth line goon here. So, Mikhail Robidoux, he's still around though, serving another suspension.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, did you have something?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just wonder, like, at what point? At what point do you, as an organization, think, okay? even if he's entertaining as a goon or whatever, whatever it may be like the the second he has a reputation for getting into it with fans, like wh- you're, it's a ticking time bomb. If you have a, a player that is, has that reputation, why do you want them there at your entertainment venue? Let's, let's, look, let's look at it from a macro perspective here. Like this is, this is entertainment. Like, wh- like you've got to entertain. You know, it's a risk of assaulting the the paying customers. What are you doing?
0: I mean, it, I hate to say it, but and, and I, I, <laughs> I don't want to name the wrong guys here, but there have been multiple incidents over the last, let's say, five years where just a little thing will happen with fans. You know, maybe you throw something into the stands or you're stupid. Or you hit somebody, you know, smack them with your stick. But but the ECHL for right or wrong has a history, in my opinion, of not being uh, of being too lenient with some guys. There are guys around the league: Travis Howe, Garrett Klotz, I mean, multiple offenders with the same sorts of infractions. And they remain in the league for right or for wrong. And, you know, it's a long conversation. I'd love to have him on sometime. Joe Ernst is who's in charge of uh, uh, the punishments in the league. And that's always been the argument is there isn't enough consistency. That's a discussion for another day. But when you got a guy like Robidoux, and you're talking about nine suspensions for 47 games over three years, somebody needs to explain to me what is the positive of having a guy like that remain in the league?
1: I'd agree. So let's get, let's get, let's get a bit negative here, my friend.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll get away from the day. How about that? Uh, So uh, sort of, sort of the rising star of the league right now, a guy we've talked about on the show. I'm sticking with Owen Hedrick, defenseman for the Idaho Steelheads on an AHL contract with the Texas stars. Uh, He's got 10 goals and 29 points in 29 games. That includes four game winning goals. Uh, He is second among all ECHL defensemen in scoring behind only teammate Patrick Kutla. Now, a thing to remember with Hedrick, this is just a rookie out of college hockey. Uh, I see him not being long for this league. I see him moving up, unlike necessarily our next guy, who I would say is the first half MVP. I would have Zach O'Brien of the Newfoundland Growlers. He is doing his thing, leading the league in scoring. Of course, he could move up. But at this stage of his career, it seems like he is mostly an ECHL star, but he has been doing very well. Uh, most unpredictable team It's going to be the team that I follow, the Fort Wayne Comets. I don't think there's any question on this. Two years removed from a championship. Fort Wayne started off this year with the worst 18-game start since joining the ECHL 10 years ago, then went on to win eight games in a row, which was their longest winning streak, since 2008 then they then they lost four in a row and now they've won three in a row so it's the very definition of a roller coaster season and nobody can quite figure out is this team a championship contender or is it going to miss the playoffs
1: i feel like that president their president interviewed like he said has he had a heart attack yet or what (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, well I, I think overall they feel like the direction has been righted even though they had lost a few games one thing to keep in mind they have been absolutely gutted by injuries and call-ups i am not one to use an excuse on that they have won their last three but they are the most unpredictable team but their bitter rival the toledo walleye not far behind nobody knows what to make of toledo because they have been very streaky as well But the very concerning thing if you're a Toledo fan is they are not winning games at home, which is the Huntington center supposed to be maybe the biggest home ice advantage. They're not doing well. So now we can bring up Sebastian Cosa. Uh, I have seen a lot of him lately. He got chased from the net by Fort Wayne last week. I believe he gave up six goals, uh, came out in the second period. Um, I hear from a lot of Toledo fans. They are concerned. A lot of them don't think Cosa's the real deal. I am a uh, born and bred Detroiter. I've seen a lot of Cosa. I haven't given up hope. He's very young. 20. He's, he's, uh, he's very young. Well, they expect a lot of things in Toledo. He
1: can't uh, even drink alcohol yet.
0: <laughs> I totally agree with you. He did play in the all-star the game. law. Yeah. For what, for what it's worth, he did play in the all-star game. Uh, he, I mean, he has been inconsistent. He has had some bad games. There's no question about that. Uh, but, you know, now you do sort of wonder, well, was bringing him up to the pros the right move? I still think it was. Well, but... we
1: won't know until next year uh, or, or yeah. two years or three years, because I think what Detroit is doing, whether they, their calculations are right or wrong, is they're probably saying, okay, what we what, what's better for coast development right now? Another year lighting up 15-year-olds that haven't grown facial hair yet or get the adversity over now of like the welcome to the pros moment and take that forward to next year. We can't judge that now, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Take I, that I, Toledo. I'm fine with what I have seen from him. Right, but I do get it. You know, it, it especially in Toledo, it does come down to winning games. What you do want to see is these guys win games, and they've got Sebastian Kosa, and they've got a guy named John Leverman, who's on an AHL deal with Grand Rapids. Neither of them are winning, and two guys that they gave up who happen to be in Fort Wayne. Rylan Peranto and Max Molasek—they both are winning, so I do get it. But this totally. all goes back to the defense in Toledo is not playing well, and I do think there's an important question there. When you have a big prospect like Cosa and you put him in the ECHL, do you have a responsibility to make sure that they have a really good defense there, whatever that takes? Do you put more AHL contracted guys there, whatever it takes, because you Great don't want to you don't want to spoil a guy. Ruined his confidence in the first year. Now we talked to him. I I think he's a really confident guy, but I do get some of the concerns if he's getting pulled from games at home because of poor defense. That totally. could be a slippery slope. So I get it. Um, yeah, did you have something else? Sorry, no. Okay, uh, surprise teams. I wanted to mention a couple of them. The Indy Fuel. That is the big one for me. They have become the juggernaut of the Central Division. Uh, Duncan Dalmos, who is coaching them, has done a great job this year. They are firing on all cylinders, even after losing Jan Mandat, who is one of their best players who returned to Europe. Uh, the Atlanta Gladiators, who we mentioned before, uh, very difficult South Division. Jeff Pyle, the coach there, he's doing a really good job. Um, Eric Neely is a player to watch there. He's got 18 goals in 36 games. And the third team I wanted to mention was the Wichita Thunder. They are 21-13-3 and three in the Mountain Division. That's second only to Idaho, which might be the league's best team. Bruce Ramsey is coaching the Oilers. He's a guy I've known for many years. Seems like he has finally turned that team around. Braden Watts has 19 goals and 49 points. And Michael Stenil has 18 goals and 48 points. Uh, wanted to give you my rookie of the year so far. I know I talked about Owen Hedrick, but I'm going to go... Forward here with Hank Crone of Allen. He's got 18 goals, 45 points in 34 games. That's second among all ECHL rookies to only Alex Iarulo of the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. Goaltender of the year, Clay Stevenson of the South Carolina Stingrays to me. He's 9 3 and 2. He's got a 930 save percentage with a 211 goals against and two shutouts. And, um, uh, couple things I just wanted to mention that I think we need to look at we talked about the all-star game and how I think there needs to be some changes there scheduling is something that I'm hearing people talk about a lot the weird things like Fort Wayne and Kalamazoo teams separated by only 115 miles have only played twice this year uh, a lot of a lot of teams will start building up a rivalry and then they won't be scheduled next year so uh, sorry another Fort Wayne comparison but They built up a great rivalry last year with the expansion Iowa Heartlanders. I think they have played once this year. This was a team they were having brawls. The fans were into it. They're not playing enough. Uh, There are all sorts of, you know, little rivalries we could pick out from across the league, you know, Toledo and Iowa, things like that. Teams are not playing enough. So they need to figure out a way to balance the scheduling a little bit more and make sure they preserve some rivalries. So because that's what the fans want to see. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to mention, this is something that we need to explore the reasons why, but teams are going through defensemen at a ridiculous rate this year. The ECHL has used 287 defensemen so far. That's before the halfway mark of the season, 287. Last year for the entire season, the league used 375. So on average, teams are using uh, – 11 defensemen so far. Uh, Fort Wayne has used 15 defensemen, if that gives you any sense of it. Oh, I'm sorry. They have used 17. Norfolk has used 15. So Fort Wayne, which is a little over 500, has used 17 defensemen. So you're going to ask, why is that? Injuries. uh, Call-ups is the big thing. I, I feel like there is also a dearth of great defensemen right now. I'm not sure why. You see teams going through them a lot. But I, I don't know. I'm going to have to give that some thought because it's a stat that is obviously affecting my world a little bit. But I can tell you, teams like Toledo, they're looking around. Can we find a serviceable defenseman that can help us out? But teams are just going through them real fast.
1: So you take you take some time to think about that, and then we'll bring it up next week. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. And But but until then, we'll take a, a seven-day hiatus now, guys, until you can hear from us next. Thank you very much for listening, and be sure to tune in. Every week for another episode of ECH Hall Talk. Thanks, guys.